Howdy, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal. Now, once again, uh, first off, I'm David Bax. I'm Tyler Smith. Back from assignment, but we'll address yeah. that in the main episode. Indeed. Um, this will probably be a long one again because of the fact that it has been three weeks. But at this point, the holidays are over, vacations are over. We should be getting back onto a regular schedule with the BP Movie Journals, and therefore they shouldn't be super long going forward but this except be you'll be long. going out of town mid-february Do, will that have an effect I, I won't no i won't be i won't be missing an episode okay i'm just going for the weekend and we can record before that okay we, that's 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 off mic business oh sorry we to be talking about that right now but um i've got more than you so i'm gonna go ahead and start okay do you want to do these on the on the regular episode yeah yeah okay um so uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and start uh i saw a documentary um i actually saw this the day that we recorded the last movie journal. Okay. But my... Whatever, oh, you just forgot. No, I didn't forget. Okay. My weird rule that I made up for myself is that the movie journal includes everything I've seen up until midnight like the night before or whatever. I don't know why. That's just the way my, my brain works. And I, it was... Uh, you it, know what? That's interesting you put it that way. It, I would venture to say your brain is not working. <laughs> at least not uh, correctly. Uh, it, it was a subconscious decision and I'm only now realizing that I had already seen this when we did the last movie journal and I just didn't talk about it. <sighs> okay. Uh, because I made, I made up a rule that doesn't, there's that doesn't literally no reason. You know what? I, this makes your year thing look like the height of logic. If you, I know you know me very well. We've been yeah. friends for 16 years. That's correct. At this point. Um, if you knew how much of my life and how many of my decisions are dictated by weird rules I've made up for myself to govern things and to take chance out of my life, you would think both of these things would seem quaint to you. Everything I do is so meticulously planned out and and uh, governed by my weird brain. I seem to recall many years ago... Okay, so I used to be probably a little bit obsessive compulsive i wouldn't step like the crack i wouldn't step on sidewalk cracks okay. not because i thought anything bad would happen but i just thought what's why, why would i do that <laughs> um uh but also I, w- I would tend to divide the room up with invisible lines which i had told you about once uh-huh. um in fact i told you about on the documentary that brian hogan made about me uh-huh. and uh, you made fun of me you just uh, so oh, right i, I divide yeah. the room up into invisible lines and then i wouldn't step on those either uh-huh. uh and so and I would have little things like, oh, I wonder how quickly I can get to the, you know, get to the, the light to turn it off. Okay, three seconds. Okay, well, I was, I was hoping it'd be two. So, like, I do those. And when I told you about them, you just make fun of me. Ah, well, Am I supposed to respect these with you? Do you remember? You made, you, I don't know if you made fun of you. You laughed at me once when we first lived together in Chicago. You and I were going to a movie together. Yeah. And we were both ready. Like, it was winter. We had our coats on. We're standing there. And you're yeah. like, ready to go. And I was like, just a second. And you were like. You're waiting for the clock to change to exactly like a five minute increment. I wanted to leave the house at like the apartment at like seven ten or whatever, That's right. and so I was just standing in the foyer waiting for the clock to change to seven ten, and I was like, "All right, let's go." I just like the idea. I don't remember that at all. Uh, I seem to have a. I, what were we seeing? Do I you remember? Know. I don't know. Because I think in my head it you, was Monsters Ball, but I don't know if that's right. Now that you mention it, it does sound very familiar. I can picture it, but what I imagine is you like slumped like a toy. Uh, like that needs to be wound up and then finally it clicks over and it's whoop, here we go. That's, that's what I picture. Um, okay. So the documentary that I saw, sorry, uh, is called the case against eight, which Hmm. is, uh, have you heard of it? Uh, yes. Is that nominated this year for documentary? I think it was on the short list maybe, but I don't know. That's what it was. Actually, maybe it wasn't because 
it aired on HBO, and doesn't that disqualify? Oh, you know, a, I think a documentary? it does. I think it does. So yeah, it aired on HBO. Um, I think I actually might have watched it on HBO Go. Of course, now I'm actually um, going to look up and make sure we're not talking out of our ass and might actually be nominated. I don't know. I feel like it's not. Okay. Um, it's very good. Uh, it, um, it, it, it's the name. The case against eight is very specifically true. This isn't just about, um, you know, proposition eight or, or isn't very, you know, a, 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 a wide net, uh, about, about equal marriage or anything like that. This is mm-hmm. very specifically the story of the case to, uh, repeal i don't know what the word is the case against proposition eight to right, get it right. struck down they ended up going to multiple courts and then eventually the supreme court um and was i didn't even realize this because i didn't i guess i didn't follow the specifics this, that closely mm-hmm. but the two lawyers who were on opposing sides on bush versus versus gore were the two lawyers who huh. worked together against proposition eight um, they worked together that's interesting yeah um Apparently, yeah, someone said, because Rob Reiner was very involved in this case and, mm-hmm. like, funding and stuff like that. Um, and someone said to him, you know, I know Ted Olson, who had been represented mm-hmm. the Bush side of things, uh, and I think he'd be interested in this. And Rob Reiner was like, are you sure? And there's even, like, a clip, like, there's a clip of Rush Limbaugh saying, I don't know what happened to Ted Olson. He used to be, <laughs> <laughs> he used to be one of us. Um but it's very specifically about the case, which is not to say that it's dry because I mean, it is not. Right. The movie is not dry, and nor were my uh, eyes by the end of it. Um, well done. But uh, oh, thanks. I like. The I'm a bit of a writer. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so that's the case against eight. Um, in I believe you can st- if you have uh, HBO Go or HBO Go access. Um, I'm pretty sure you can still watch it. Okay. What's up for? Okay, so I the day I haven't seen that many movies because I was on vacation and did not have on assignment. I was on assignment. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> well, that's how I characterized it on the podcast. Oh, indeed, yes, yes. Um, it, I can take. I'm allowed to take vacations. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and so I only saw four movies. I saw actually five, but one was Birdman, which I saw again with uh, with Jen. But um, okay. okay, so let's see here. Hang on. Sorry, yeah, I don't, I'm looking that's at... That's another weird rule. I don't talk about stuff that I rewatch on the movie journals. That's just my rule. I'm not saying you can't. No, I, I don't. don't either. Like, I want it to be something... Because chances are I've already... Probably I've already written a review. And, like, I wrote a review for Birdman. So if you want my thoughts, you can just go look at that. Okay. So, and, I um, like, I rewatched Alien Resurrection the other day because oh, I'm yeah. talking about it on the yeah. sequel cast this week. And, man, I, sw- I, I gotta tell you that... I'll talk about this on the sequel cast. But that okay. movie is... It it does not deserve the reputation that it has. I agree completely. Uh, when when uh, when Matt put out the call for the Alien series, I said I either want Alien or Alien Resurrection, and he said I've already got David and Josh for Alien Resurrection. <laughs> so I was just like, oh, all right, well, I guess I'll take Alien then. Like all three of us wanted that one. Yeah, I think because we want to talk about the fact that it has a horrible reputation. Yeah, and I remember again people who listen to the sequel cast i'm sure i'll end up telling these same stories sure. but at comic-con one year someone asked joss whedon during a q a um do you have any did you get to take any uh, do you have uh, any collection of cool like props or costumes and stuff from stuff you've worked on that you got to take home and he and he said well i have an alien egg but i had to kill the franchise to get it <laughs> um and that is kind of the reputation that alien resurrection has and it doesn't deserve it yeah and just 
there's a lot of like great sci-fi going on in there. There's yeah. one scene that is so rem- first off, like it's some of the best acting I've ever seen Sigourney Weaver do, which is saying something. Which is saying something, especially she's, she's in that no series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, but anyway, right. sorry. Yeah. Okay. What did you, uh, what I did saw. You watch? I saw Boyhood, um, okay. which I uh, enjoyed quite a bit. I did not love it, but there are things I loved about it. There are sequences that I think are top notch. There are performances I think are top notch. I think it is like so many other people. I, I'm going to be repeat. Boyhood's one of those movies that no matter what you say and no matter when you say it, there are at least, I don't know, 15,000 people that have said that exact thing, maybe even verbatim before right. you. But um, it is there is something to that 12 year, the, the 12 year thing. Um, people have referred to it as a gimmick. I don't think it's that there are movies with gimmicks to them. Uh, this feels like there's something more to it because this is so important to the story. It's not like it's told in a silly way or not silly way, but like in, in kind of a, a, an arbitrary way where it's like, Oh, let's make this interesting. This, how it was told is the movie, right? The style is the substance and vice versa. It's, and so it's very hard but to also, look at it, the movie and not see how it was made, which is but so it also, difficult. I also to, like that. It doesn't like hang a signpost on the way it was made. Like it doesn't have right. bre- like chapter breaks where it's right. like year two or whatever, you know? Yeah. You're just there. You and, just sort of wait, like suddenly you'll get, cause some, in some years he won't look that much different at first, but you'll be like, Oh, his hair's different or yeah. there's something different going on here. Or this person has dropped out of his life. Right. Right. And with no explanation, sometimes we see the day that person has left other times the person is just gone. And so there are things that I real. so I, I responded to a lot of it. Um, but, uh, but by and large, I just, you know, I didn't respond that much to the main character, which I know a lot of other people said. And I think what got me was that showing these, these moments, I feel bad speaking negatively about it because I had a mostly positive response to it. You watched it at home, right? I did. Did you watch it straight through? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, because I was watching it with a group of friends. And frankly, I knew if I watched it with a group of friends, right, that would force me to watch it yeah. all the way through. Because normally I don't get that. I'm not like a purist. I don't get that precious about that kind of thing. Right. You know? But I do think I'm really glad that I saw Boyhood in a theater and that I watched it. That I didn't have any chances to pause and go to the bathroom or get a drink. Oh, yeah. Some like movies... That. Sort of. I mean, in theory, all movies require, but some really need that because they're it's just constantly building. And so I think the thing that gets me about the main character is that when you see the character, they has that he has arrived at a certain emotional place, and then you see it, you know, one after another. So you see a progression, but a progression is not the same as an arc. And so I felt like I couldn't relate to him as a character. Whereas, and maybe that's. I think I think his performance was actually fine. I forget his name. Eller Coltrane. Coltrane, yeah. Um, I think his performance is actually very good, um, but it's a character that is somewhat unknowable. Whereas I do think the two parents, maybe because the actors are able to through their performance yeah. fill in what happened in between, um, I feel like they're more fully realized characters. Now, um, do you think? Okay, normally when someone has like. A complaint about a movie and someone's argument is well isn't that isn't it that way on purpose i usually roll my eyes at that mm-hmm. but that's not exactly what i'm saying here but you are um mentioning a lack of an arc to me part of the idea of the movie is exploring the way that we think of a life in terms of when we look at a life 
you know, stand back and look at someone's life, we think of it in terms of milestones. We mm-hmm. think of our future in terms of milestones. I'm going to do this. I'm right. going to get to drive when I'm 16. I'm going to graduate from high school. I'm going to, you know, be old enough to drink. Whatever, you know, whatever right. like the milestones are, um, we think of it like that. But most of life happens uh, in between those. To me, that's Absolutely. a big part of the movie. So the idea that it doesn't have a recognizable arc seems to kind of fit. Except that it's called boyhood and it does end with him going away to college. It ends on a mile t- milestone. Why does it end there and not his junior year? If it's all arbitrary oh, right. stuff, then we need to know why is it ending here? But the thing is, it because doesn't end with him going on to college. We, he doesn't, I guess like, it ends with like his first day or, or yeah, but I mean, he, he like goes off to college and then there's a long sequence of him driving himself to college where it, mm-hmm. kind, of, it kind of, cause it kind of feels, I remember thinking, I kind of feel I, I kind of felt like at any moment this could end. Right. Um, but so, I like that it kept going into. And there's a word for that, which is denouement, which implies an arc. Him driving and going off to college. Well, it, yeah, has it's, a, I mean, it's a story. It's a story. It does have an yeah. arc, but I'm. Uh, and I, I'm not somebody who says there is no story or there needs to be a conventional story. It's not a conventional story, nor should I, nor do I think it should be. But it's just one of those things that the the way that they did it. And, and I do wonder if it's if it's just a function of. By by your very nature, you're watching a young actor mm-hmm. who maybe can't fill in in his performance. Right, right. What? Because I I got no sense of that from uh, Patricia Arquette or Ethan Hawke. I feel like they have the ability to show us how their care what happened in the interim just by how they carry themselves. And what's what's also interesting, and actually I have not seen a lot of people mention this. Patricia Arquette's acting gets better over the course of the film. You think? I'd have to watch it again. And I have a theory as to why. Because between year one and year 12, she was on a TV show. And she had to act regularly, every week. And I think she got better as an actress. So, I don't Um, know. It's because by the... Because, I mean, she's like a shoe-in. Like, she, she and J.K. Simmons are the... They're going to win everything. Uh, the odds-on favorites. The odds-on favorite, a phrase I love. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't yeah. think I fully understand what it means, so I don't use it very often. Uh, um, it means the odds are on them; they're okay. the favorite. It's the odds are ever in their favor. Yeah, um, <laughs> Absolutely. Speaking of TV, and we'll yeah. transition. But the guy from Boyhood, who's the professor that she marries, becomes like the yes. I, I like his performance quite yeah. a bit. I'm rewatching a little bit of uh, my 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 wife is watching on her own on Netflix Friday Night Lights for the first time. Mm-hmm. So I've been rewatching episodes here and there just when I'm home and she's watching while I sit down. And when they're talking about splitting up the schools at the town hall at like the town meeting, okay, and people are shouting like, "What about the football team?" That guy, <laughs> that guy's in there. Um, Be like, oh, was, you, he's yeah. drunk again. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. Spoilers. Um, okay. Oh, but anyway, oh, the reason that I brought that brought up the odds on favorite thing is that people just had been saying that about Patricia Arquette. So when I when I started watching the movie and I saw the first couple of scene, the first few scenes with her, I thought like, oh, she's not that great. She's kind of stilted, and I don't know. This isn't that great. By the end, she's amazing, uh-huh. and I do think, and it's so interesting to see the progression, not merely of people's lives, but of all, but of people's talents. I don't think anybody would have said that Patricia Arquette yeah. was a great actress, and she became one over the course yeah. of the film. It's fascinating. Now, um, you and I, during the entire making of adulthood, you and I, or adulthood, boyhood, you and I were more or less adults. I mean, not entirely. We were kind of we were yeah. college age at the beginning there. Yeah. 
but um, we didn't grow up in the same way that Ella Coltrane did. Right. Did you find watching it when sometimes there'd be a movie, there'd be a song playing, you'd be like, God, is that song really that old? Uh, I did have the thought when I saw him dressed as Harry Potter right. to, to go for the <laughs> release of the sixth book. Right. And I was able to, and here's, I was able to say like, I know exactly what I was doing when they were doing that. I was with Jen at a bookstore in Chicago. Right. I believe already married at that point. <laughs> and that's when I was like, okay, now I feel old. Also, let me ask you this. And this is not a thing that I, that I mentioned very much. Uh, I'm not super thrilled with the use of music because I do think that the music that they chose, this is something that if we were to watch a period film or, or a film from the eighties or something, there are a handful of songs that have, that are like the the uh, the essential '80s, and if they played those, we'd be like, "Come on, you're going to play well, those." And I feel like every era has that. I you know, I think in some ways I agree. In some ways, it's diegetic, and they couldn't have known while making it when she's like singing that, the Britney Spears song, or yes. whatever. They couldn't have known that that song would yes, be that. I'm the signpost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in other ways, you're right, and yeah, yeah some of the songs are. And you know, maybe I, you know. I think he, Linklater, and I just have different music tastes. Yes, uh, I'm not into that as much. I I was a like diehard Wilco fan for a long time, and mm-hmm. I still like a lot of Wilco stuff. But this new the tweet, the stuff he's done with his son, the, I don't know if you've heard it. I have uh, not. But it's it's like when he's at college at the end. It's the Tweety song uh, that's just called Tweety. They're bandits. Okay. Jeff Tweety and his son together. Uh, it's corn. It's not good. <laughs> it's it's up there in that. Mumford Brothers, whatever they're called, uh, horseshit. And I know what the band's called. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, all right, moving on. Man, you don't like anything with the word Mumford in it, do you? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, moving on uh, to an incredible film that you, I don't think you've seen it yet. Okay. You got to check it out. I'm sure you've heard of it. Don't tell me what to do. It's called Starred Up. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, that's, the other Jack O'Connell movie is what uh, some <laughs> yeah, people have yeah. thought of it as. Um, yeah, it's it not, it's not Start Up, yeah. like not, like Start Me Up, like the Rolling Stones song. Mm-hmm. It's Starred, uh, S-T-A-R-R-E-D, Up. And it's a, apparently it's a term in the uh, British prison system for a juvenile offender being moved into adult jail because he's, you know, can't be handled or he's yeah. too, uh, he needs higher security, he needs more okay. of a strict hand so jack o'connell plays that character he's only supposed to be like uh 17 or 18 mm-hmm. um, i'm not sure how long how old jack o'connell is in real life um he i mean he but, reads fairly young he can read yeah. older if he wants to but it is this is a movie people talk about um the idea of world building usually when they're talking about like a fantasy movie right and, you know this is a you know bare bones like lean realistic movie but it has such a great sense of world building because mm-hmm. we're we never leave the pr- the prison okay we never even are outside i think until well th- there's a little bit at the very end um that's not really a spoiler um that's not true there's a little when bit they wheel his too. body out his <laughs> his throat being freshly cut oh shoot did i spoil something <laughs> um but because of uh a really smart economy of dialogue and shot choices. And also just because of this fully realized, like it's a three dimensional performance, literally in the way, like, I mean, that's, I know that's a trite thing to say about someone's performance or a character, but I literally mean like if this were an object, his performance, you could walk all the way around it and pick it up and look yeah. at top and bottom and not see any cracks or holes in it. It's yeah. an unbelievable performance. Um, you know, uh, cerebrally and physically and verbally, everything is spot on. Yeah. Uh, 
and it's not just I, all I I only knew that he was in it, but uh, Ben Mendelsohn is in it. Oh, um, he plays a psychopath, of course, of course. Um, and um, is he the, also sleazy? <laughs> kind of. Okay, uh, he actually plays Jack O'Connell's character's father, who's in. Oh, all right. When he gets starred up, they're now in the same like interesting. Uh, I don't know what you call it, cell block, whatever the sure. the the wing uh, is. And then, um, do you know the actor Rupert Friend? Yeah. Name sounds very familiar. Um, he's on Homeland, mm. um, and that's that's what I know him from. Um, he plays a um, volunteer like counselor who counsels the more uh, anger prone mm. um, prisoners. Uh, and there's, I, I don't want to go much into the story. The story is not actually that important. It's just a movie that, without without trying, without having like you know spectacle of pyrotechnics is is an incredibly uh what's the word i'm looking for it has a great deal of velocity okay from the from the just from the opening yeah it's 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 non-stop but in a way that is not trying or lashing out or flailing in any way it's just incredibly focused uh and it it's about a hundred minutes long and it just zooms by. Really? It's yeah. Great movie. Is it really tense? It seems like it'd be tense. Yeah. It's pretty tense. Yeah. Um, I have yeah, found there's like, there's a part when he knows the, um, uh, he knows the guards are coming to get him because they think he's done something. Yeah. And that they're, and he's not going to be taken easily yeah so he has he runs into his cell before them he has already ready because he's prepared for this like two bottles of like body oil he takes off his shirt pours the body oil all over himself so that he's slick Mm -hmm. and then breaks his chair so he has two chair legs and just waits for the guys (laughs) for the guys in the riot gear to come in it's unbelievable now i feel like that is not the best plan in the world. I feel like that's a short game right there. Cause oh, I, I feel like that speaks to the character. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Um, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, when I was younger, my, uh, my dad told me about that, that there are certain films in certain genre, a certain like subgenre of film that he just had a hard time watching. And for him, uh, this conversation came about when we were talking about Mississippi Burning, which I had just seen at the time. And um, and he said that he had a very hard time watching movies about man's inhumanity to man, when it, especially when it comes to prejudice, especially systemic. So, you know, Jim Crow laws and, and just any and, – and Holocaust stuff and, and that sort of thing. Um, the idea that you can hurt somebody with basic impunity um, – and he just had a really hard time watching that. And at the time I was, you know, I was just, dr- I was just drinking in film. And so mm-hmm. literally nothing was off limits for me. Uh, and, and even if it made me uncomfortable, I didn't care. As I've gotten older, there are certain things that I'm just like, yeah, I'll watch it. But man, it's, I'm already tired. <laughs> and, and, uh, prison movies, mm-hmm. that is one, not that there are a lot of them. Right, but I did watch all of Oz, uh, and I think maybe I that, didn't even make it through all of Oz. <laughs> I think it's maybe what, that did it for me. It's six, six seasons? or seven seasons. I believe. I think I watched four of them. Yeah, and the fourth season is the one that's like supersized. 
Because mo- most odd yeah, seasons are so. only like eight to ten episodes, yeah. but the fourth season is like sixteen episodes. And yeah, I, I think, think so. I think I was worn out. It broke the, you. Yeah, after, four, after <laughs> season four, I was like, I can't do it anymore. Um, and the other one is uh, is war movies. I just, basically any any movie where the main character has to basically keep his head on a swivel all the time. Just right. movies where it's just yeah. constant paranoia. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why I. I haven't seen American Sniper. I wasn't planning on seeing it, but all this fucking political controversy. Now I have to. Even the Oscar nomination wasn't quite enough for me. Right. Uh, but now it's. Uh, but now, so many people are talking about it in such extreme ways on all sides. And like, or being well, now I guess like I guess. they're talking about it in extreme ways when they aren't. Like Seth Rogen, who made yeah, I know one comment, and everyone's jumping down his throat yeah. like he said something. Yeah, he's not. He didn't say. He's not Michael Moore, yeah. who basically said uh, snipers are cowards. What? What? What makes? What makes you think I'm talking I'm about American I did, I didn't sniper? Hear that I didn't know. Oh, that's ridiculous. All right. Um, what's? Uh, you know what? Let me do a few. Because, Please do. Yes, yeah. I've only got four. Um, I also saw. Uh, no, I've already talked about this on the main show last uh, week with or two weeks ago with Scott and Aaron, but uh, the Dardan brothers, two days, one night. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't have that much to say that I didn't already say. Uh, it's very good. It's probably it's in my top twenty or twenty five of the year, probably. Okay. But um, very good, not great though. I this is what I said on the episode. I know you listened to it. Um, I, I I think I'm on to the Dardum Brothers in a way that I uh, I still really uh, appreciate them and get wrapped up in their film stylistically. But um, I've ceased to be surprised which is not necessarily say as scott pointed out on the show it's not that i saw the plot coming right but i'm not really surprised by their movies anymore the way that i certainly was when i saw rosetta when i was 19 or whatever which blew me away um and so it's a it's a very well-made film uh incredibly well acted great uh ensemble and it's it's on it's marion cotillard's movie but there's right. she's talking to different people the whole time so it has a huge ensemble yeah um, they're all fantastic. Uh, I don't regret watching it for a second, but it's one of those movies where so many people like it so much that I start to feel like I like it less than I do because I'm in disagreement. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, very much so. It's a, it's a thing that I, uh, condemn about myself yeah. is that, but it, it goes the other way too. I've talked, I've talked about multiple times. I think I just talked about it last week, men, women, and children, the Jason Reitman movie. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone hates it so much that I feel like I like it more than I yeah, do yeah. because I didn't hate it that much. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like it's misunderstood. Um, it's like, mm, it's, this is starting to turn into a mob mentality. And you know what? Yeah. I'm not one of these sheep. Exactly. Uh, and then finally I saw a movie that, uh, I know you'll love. Um, it's being classified as a documentary for lack of a better term. Okay. It's called 20,000 days on earth. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's the Nick, Nick Cave, Cave documentary. Yeah. But I mean, it's so, it is a look at his life as an artist. Right. And to some extent his life life, but he doesn't really talk much about his childhood. It's more about his career and uh and his and very much about his process hmm. of creating and his process of performing which he never comes out and says but seems to treat as almost two completely different aspects of himself oh i that, like that that when he's it's all you almost get the impression that when that he's one person when he's creating and then when he's performing he's another being that's able to channel that 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 first person almost as but though there's he's a ri- disconnect when yeah. he uh, from himself when he's performing but in a way that he likes almost as though he's writing for somebody else right yes yeah yes yeah um, I, f- and I feel and like he never comes out and says that but that's a big part of what you get from the movie 
That yeah. that's actually something that I've I've thought about uh, when somebody is like a writer, director, and actor is when you're writing for the part you know you're gonna play. Right. I mean, how do you not give yourself all the best lines? How do you not do that? And just and then once you're playing it, how do you find the character on your own as opposed to knowing what you, the writer, was, yeah. were trying to do? And I feel like you need to somehow. I'm sure it's a thing you need to hone, but creating that disconnect between the two. Um, and yeah, and that's, again, this isn't literalized, but I feel like if you asked Nick Cave what he does for a living, he would say he writes. Either he writes music or he writes hmm. screenplays or whatever. And this performing, recording and performing thing is uh, uh, another part of him that is almost, no. it, it almost exists separately. And the, yeah, the movie's fantastic. It, and it takes, it, it does, it just finds interesting ways to do everything. Mm-hmm. Um it wants to have him uh, having discussions with his former collaborators or longtime friends. And so instead of sitting them down on either side of a table, they <laughs> put them in a car and Nick Cave just drives them around and talks to them. And usually in the passenger seat with Kylie Minogue, whom he had a surprise. I don't know if you know, they had a, they did a duet together that like was a huge hit in Australia. I did and, not know that. Yeah. So and got a lot of people to be to think they like Nick Cave and then go check out Nick Cave records and be like, oh, this well, isn't what oops. I thought it was. I yeah. guess I just like Kylie Minogue. Anyway, when he drives Kylie Minogue around, she's in the back seat like he's a, her chauffeur. But they're they're so great uh, together that as, as fantastic as the movie is, if it were literally just 90 minutes of Nick Cave driving Kylie Minogue around and talking to her. Well, you got uh, a Jim Jarmusch film there. Uh, yeah, I would like that. But I also have a you know longtime huge crush on uh kylie minogue let me ask you this did this film make you finally want to watch the proposition i've always wanted to watch the proposition i have it on blu-ray you're welcome to borrow it too busy i don't have any time i think you would love it um all right you go with another one now okay the next one i saw was i cannot recall the filmmaker's name or maybe i just am afraid to try to pronounce it the film i saw was leviathan yeah i can't remember his name andre something yeah uh, I feel terrible when I cannot uh, remember that. But, um, yeah, uh, I would venture to say I loved it. It was not the best theatrical experience, unfortunately, and oh. which distracted me a little bit. I wound up having to stand in the back of the theater because uh, there was a guy behind me who I would venture to say might have been homeless okay. um, who had uh, wandered in, fallen asleep, and was snoring constantly. Oh, I've had that happen before. Yeah. It's – you know, I feel – but then, then there was somebody else, another old woman – who sat next to him, but did not know him. She also fell asleep and started snoring. So it was not, maybe you were in the wrong section. You didn't realize it. (laughs) I thought I I didn't know I was in the snoring section. (laughs) And so, um, but anyway, so I, it it bothered me. And so I, I stood up and, and moved elsewhere in the theater. And, uh, uh, so there are a couple moments that I probably was not completely present for. Um, but by and large, I really, Loved it. Really responded to it. Um, I mean, you, we've talked about you've talked about it pretty uh, in depth here, so I don't want to really. Re- I, I basically echo it. I'll echo everything that you've said about it. Okay. Um, and did I you just read my review, by the way. I believe I did. Yes, okay. but at this point, I read it uh, several weeks ago. Okay. Um, and so, <laughs> wait, why? Just curious. I don't read every review on the site. No, neither do I. Okay, then I read right. mine and the ones that I edit. Fair enough. And that's about it. What about oh, mine? Uh, if I have seen the movie, I will go back and read it. Oh, fair enough. Um, yeah, and so, uh, but it's just such a such a lovely little film. I love the I love the pacing. 
or some would say the lack thereof, but I definitely think that there's a forward momentum to the film. Yeah. Um, I love the way things are. I mean, it does seem are... to unfold in, I wouldn't say chapters, but there are large sections yeah. that you can clearly delineate looking back at it. Well, and it almost, you know, another way of looking at it is it's like a map. The word unfold is correct, mm-hmm. where it's like a map where you un- you unfold it once, and it's like, okay, I've got an idea of this. Then you unfold it again, and you have a large – you have a larger idea of the picture. Then again, and bef- and by the end, you see how everything fits together, and you've got the whole picture. And it is not a happy one, by the way. Um, and uh, oh. but I thought the performances were wonderful. Uh, I wish I could remember any of the names. Of course, I cannot. But uh, the, uh, the, the 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 mayor character, yeah. the one could say the villain of the piece. Uh, I thought he was wonderful. Yeah, I thought everyone was wonderful, but yeah. he he really stood out to me as just a character who like. You hate, but maybe not as much as he hates himself, uh, because he's constantly looking for absolution and is getting it, which of course bothers me. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, it's a really wonderful film. I would suggest, uh, seeking it out if you, you know, it requires some patience because it's a fairly long film, rather slow moving, but I think it, uh, will reward you tremendously. And gorgeous to look at. Yes, very much so. Um, all right. I saw this uh, maybe couldn't be more different, uh, but I saw the film John Wick. Oh, all right. It's wonderful. You haven't seen it yet? No, not yet. This it's a actually, priority, though. I want to see coincidentally, it. Coincidentally, the same thing, uh, Snoring Homeless per- Person happened in this one, too, because I saw it at the $3 theater. Of course, theater. yeah. Um, again, I'm, not, like, I'm not mad at those people. If I were homeless, I'd probably want to... No, absolutely. Yeah. I'm just saying it makes more sense that they would go to the $3 theater right. than the fairly pricey one that I went to. Um, but it's... Uh, I mean, I had heard... I had heard how good John Wick was, mm-hmm. and the people who said that John Wick was good were really right. Yeah, but I feel like they only talked about some of it. Maybe okay. they were trying to. Maybe they were trying to avoid uh, uh, ruining things for me. Mm. Um, and I'm going to do this for other people. It's not not plot wise, but I had just heard of it as a great action movie, and it right. is fantastically choreographed. And uh, you know, it's the kind of action where you can. You know, it is, uh, you can understand everything. Okay, <laughs> I like it's that. legible and coherent action. Um, but what people don't talk about is, again, I'll go back to the term world building, how this is, this is a very, this is like an alternate universe that John Wick takes place in. Okay. It's very slight differences, but essentially there's, uh, there's one cop in the entire movie early on where and in retrospect it's clear oh they had that cop in there just as a way to say yes there are cops in this world they're not really part of this story okay and there's no more cops okay. because the the idea is that this criminal this criminal economy and criminal underworld runs parallel to our own and has its own internal uh logic and its own internal rules and even its own currency hmm. uh and it, it, so it's a like it, it's a it's almost like a fantasy movie yeah uh and I, f- I found that just as compelling as the as the fantastic action. It's like payback. Uh, it is sort of like payback, actually, but I think it's a little more um, visceral, fantastical as well. Oh, fun! Um, and then I'll I'll talk about another one before I toss it back to you. And this is one that you've seen. Okay. Um, I saw Mr. Turner. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, I very much enjoyed it. I don't see myself going back to watch it again because I find him so unpleasant, even though he's funny. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I I don't think, like, I just don't think I want to spend another two hours and 20 minutes with that guy again. 
Yeah, it's a it's it's a rough film. I'm a big fan of Mike Lee, as you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, every once in a while, a director will make a movie that makes you want to say, like, "Why are you telling this story? What is it about this man's life that that so intrigues you?" I, I felt almost the same way about uh, The Wind Rises. Um, and that's f- a great comparison, actually. Yeah, like because it's. I think both movies are about creative people and their relationship to what they've created in comparison to the public's relationship to what they've oh, created. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's a really great comparison. And just, and somehow the fact that the director chose to tell this story is almost as interesting for me as the story being told um, because it's like its own little puzzle. Um, and so, uh, but there's so much, uh, uh, film is beautiful, of course. Um, I thought it was absolutely yeah. gorgeous. Um, it came so close to getting a BP nomination. I was really bummed that it didn't. Oh, for um, cinematography? Yeah. Uh, and of course, Timothy Sp- Timothy Spall is really wonderful in film as well. But I feel like you, the way you talk, the way anybody can talk about his performance is the way you can talk about the film itself, which is it is impenetrable. <laughs> like there are no in points with that performance, except except every once in a while, especially in his relationship with his father. But um, but aside from that, like it's just you cannot break that veneer. And that's rare uh-huh. for Mike Lee. You know, his right. his stuff usually welcomes you in emotionally. So in many ways, this film reminds me of Topsy Turvy. Except there's a lot, you know, that's about a, a, a group of people right. collaborating for this wonderful work of art. This is just a very solitary film that, yeah, it's just it's not a world that you feel like inhabiting that much, even though it's com- it's a very complete world. Um, and it's a world that I think is very foreign to me, which is the world of like art lovers and snobs and but what all are we that doing sort of here? thing. We're. No, I know we're talking about art here and I feel like there's a lot of talking about movie. There's a, there's a lot of comparison, but I feel like even within the world of the entire world of art, Uh I'll just stick with like paintings and such, which is, uh, outside my pay grade. And just to, and especially the scene, I believe that you talked about with that actor that I meant to look up, who's got the, the the lisp. I I, I did look him up and I already forgot his name. He's fantastic. Fantastic. That's the kind of great performance that won't get uh, attention because the actor is so, so abandons vanity and is so willing to be mocked yeah. because he's a ridiculous character. And he will commit 100% while still recognizing <laughs> this guy is kind of ridiculous, right? <laughs> yeah. That, that is the, honestly, that is the performance. It is performances like that that uh, I keep bringing up the BPs because they're very much on my mind. Right best uh, the bruce mcgill award for best supporting for for sorry the bruce mcgill award for best performance under 15 minutes yeah. was invented for that guy you know what real quick before we okay. go back to mr turner another movie i, I rewatched uh is inherent vice mm-hmm. two things about it one i saw it on 70 millimeter film okay and i and it's now it's been out a few weeks so the film had some scratches on it and i found that I almost i didn't like this reaction myself but i'm so used to seeing things projected digitally now that even though I liked it, it took me out of the movie for the first like 10, 15 minutes where I was like, this looks, this looks weird in a way that I like, but I, I'm just, it, it was just jarring to me to see something that was so clearly film, Interesting. which is sad that I, I, I don't see enough uh, film projections these days anyway, but I'm glad I did. The other thing that I wanted to say is I, like most of the BPs voters mm-hmm. nominated Martin Short as the right. Yeah. Rewatching it, even though it's a much, it's a much smaller scene. Uh, it's less than five minutes probably. I wish that I had nominated Eric Roberts instead. He's great. He's fantastic. And he's such a centerpiece of the entire movie in that. Yeah. 
I mean, he's got what, maybe six or seven lines. It feels like. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's, yeah, it's, I, I kind of wish that I'd nominated Eric Roberts instead. Anyway, back to Mr. You could have done both, admittedly. I had my own rule of one per film. Oh, boy. That's that's rough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so... This is, this is a, uh, a recurring uh, subtopic today. My own internal rules that yeah. uh, I... That I perhaps, uh, to. perhaps play this episode for your uh, therapist. <laughs> um, she knows. She knows about all this stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, sorry... You saw Mr. Turner. Yeah. And I'm the one talking about it. That's okay. I don't have anything more to say about it. Okay. Um, but you you liked the movie. You just won't... But you won't revisit it because you find the character so unpleasant. I think so, yeah. Okay. Um, I also find him gross, which is a different personal thing. <laughs> yes. He is <laughs> um, gross. Uh, but um, we'll talk more about um, good movies with gross stuff later. Oh, good. Um, let me do... Let me do a couple more. That's fine. Um... One film I saw is just coming out this week, um, and it was uh, a surprise. I saw it before the Oscar nominations came out, so I didn't know I was going to get an Oscar nomination. But uh, Timbuktu, again, oh, yeah, yeah. I can't tell you what the um, – something Sisako, the uh, director. I can't okay. remember uh, his name. Um, this was not a nowhere surprise. and It had played AFI Fest. I feel like there wasn't any buzz. I don't know. I don't know how a movie this good – get so little buzz after playing festivals but it's i mean there's there's awards buzz for it you know well uh it's 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 really fantastic and i hope people aren't i hope people don't uh don't sleep on it uh, you know uh, while it's while it's out um i forget i think when i saw leviathan i saw a trailer for it and it looked very good to me it's it's a great trailer actually okay yeah um yeah i've actually watched the trailer a couple times <laughs> since i saw the movie <laughs> but it's it's a movie that is, uh, on the one hand, very much uh, academically addressing ideas mm-hmm. and talking about them. You know, it, it's 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 not a true story, but it's based on a true events where, for a time, um, Islamic militants took over the city of Timbuktu and were enforcing uh, extreme, even by Sharia standards, an extreme version of Sharia law. Yeah, um, and uh that's and so that's when it takes place and you see it both from the militants point of view and from the inhabitants most of whom were already devout muslims which kind of creates right. some friction it's like we're already doing this but they're increasing they're increasingly making the rules more strict uh not necessarily i i guess not necessarily to be better muslims but just to exert more control it yeah. seems like so it's that um but it's not dry at all because it's also weirdly very funny and absurd um because the truth is that i mean i don't want to be offensive but uh a lot of the things that get enforced by these kind of militants are absurd if yeah. it weren't for the fact that people were actually being yeah. stoned to death a scene that actually happens on yeah. uh, in film um this would be laughable uh, a lot it's of like these brazil ones. uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> um uh, and so it's it's so the movie, my, not the country. By right, the way. No, I know what you mean. Okay, um, it's just so up my alley in the way that it is um, solemn and languid in its presentation and pace, but also full of uh, weirdness that you can only respond to by laughing. Hmm. Um, and then also, you know, really serious and has a distinct point of view. Yeah, uh, it's just 
it's my kind of movie in a way that I mean, all those things that I just named are things that I respond to and to find them all in one yeah. in one movie uh, was really fantastic. And I would recommend it uh, to anyone. It is odd the way somehow comedy enhances the drama rather than undercuts it mm-hmm. in, in some movies. Yeah. Um, OK. Um, I feel like I could talk about Timbuktu all day, but we have to move along. Um and you recently posted your review of it on the website yeah, so people can, yeah. can read more about it there. Yeah, but I, I hope people do see it and comment on it. People, I, want, I want people to use the comment sections because I feel like I have a lot more thoughts on Timbuktu that I didn't get into the review. Mm-hmm. And I'd like uh, any any excuse to keep talking about this movie because it's really fantastic. Um, I also saw – I forgot to write this down, but I, I saw um, Black Sea, speaking of reviews that went up. Um, what does this look? I saw the first 20 minutes of Black Sea. Oh, let's talk about this. And then uh, there were some chatty people in the theater. And so you left? Well, I went and said, can you please be quiet? And then, uh, okay, look. I didn't yell. I didn't scream. I said, can you please be quiet? Please. And then, okay. Do you remember Amy Ryan's character in Gone Baby Gone? (laughs) Imagine two of her. Okay. uh, Who just, ugh. Just it, the conversation uh, devolved into them saying, who the fuck are you? Uh-huh. And me saying, I'm somebody who paid to see the fucking movie. And uh, it uh, kept going from there. And uh, so I finally left to go get security. And um, security guy uh, went in and he's and uh, when he came out and he goes, yeah, those are. Those are pretty rough people. <laughs> and so, but apparently he like couldn't eject them, at least not yet. And so he said, so part of me is like, well, what? And I said, well, like, what needs to happen for you to kick them out? And he says, well, you know, he's like, if you went back in and they bothered you, then you could, you know, then like it happened again. And I said, it, it wasn't enough that they bothered me. I asked them to be quiet. Then they were very antagonistic. Then when you talk to them, they were antagonistic. Like, that's not enough. And he said, he said, no, we just like need one more thing. I was like, well, I don't feel like after yeah. calling security, going in and sitting down, I don't yeah. feel like, like being be your bait. bait. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, um, what but theater I, was this? There was the AMC century city where, you know, I've been before yeah. and it's just anyway, but I was there with a friend and he was just sitting there the whole time. He was also bothered by it. Uh, and so I said, well, I think I'm probably, if you can't do anything, I'm probably just going to leave. I don't feel like going back in there. Did you get your money back? I got my money back. Good. And I said. Did you leave your friend behind? I said, well, if I text my friend, he's not going to see it because his phone is off. So I said, can you go in and tell him that I'm leaving and that he's welcome to join me? And so my friend. Did you drive together? Uh, no, we met there, Okay, but, um, yeah, he can find his own way home. If he's, if he's not going to talk up, you know, speak up, uh, to those people he deserves what he gets. Uh, but anyway, so, um, so yeah, uh, so we told my friend and then my friend came out, he got a refund and then we went and, uh, got something to eat. But, um, you, at the Century City Mall? No, it was, uh, way past, uh, oh. closing time. And so well, what'd you think of the first 20 minutes? <laughs> Uh, it was enough that made me want to keep watching, yeah. uh, but I wanted to be able to hear it, and it was just, it was very annoying. I, I It's one of those things that's like, you know, again, objectively, I recognize that murder is wrong, but right. 
the world would clearly better be a better place. Without these That's kind of <laughs> how I think about it. Yes. Like suddenly you start to understand, I get it. You know, Hannibal Lecter would really have a field day with these people. Um, cause his whole thing is like, Oh, he doesn't like, yeah. And so, uh, and I feel bad thinking like that, but it was just one of those things that just, Oh, no, thank you. And so, uh, so that was my experience with Black Sea. I would like to see it. Uh, I would like to actually try and see it because um, I really uh, liked it. Well, it's um, essentially how I feel about a lot of Kevin McDonald's movies. It's fine. I feel yeah. like he doesn't. I mean, I'm not like repelled by uh, or repulsed by Kevin McDonald's movies, but I don't think he's ever lived up to touching the void. No, um, I agree. And even Last King of Scotland, which I remember enjoying i think in retrospect it seems kind of uh i guess i guess all his films feel a little they feel dry and sort of programmatic to me um i mean in 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 black sea i mean you didn't see how stuff pays off but you probably saw how stuff was being set up i don't know if they got to the submarine yet uh yeah uh, just just barely so there's stuff like literally as they're going through the submarine it's like okay there's no escape suits and there's this like yeah. you can see them you can see the movie setting up all the things that are going to yeah. pay off lately and later <laughs> they cast and, ben mendelson <laughs> right yes. right there is a big setup yeah, um yeah yeah, yeah. And, I, and i will say this that so i okay so i mentioned this i don't remember when sometime recently that i would like to do an episode about sorry that i want to do this episode but i also don't want to because i'm anticipating the blowback and it will all be against me oh. uh in which i want to talk about movies that are kind of about the obama administration even though this everything about this movie is british but i already saw them setting up certain things that fit completely in with something like killing them softly or nightcrawler or any number of other movies about the economy and the idea of you know being against those that have more um, and viewing them oh, as like, okay. oh, they're they're taking stuff away from me, and they do it uh, nonchalantly and stuff like that. And so I saw yeah. a lot of that in this film. Oh, you didn't see half. Of it. Oh, I have no doubt. <laughs> I have no doubt. I have to assume that Scoop McNary character gets a yeah. lot of what's coming to him. Yeah. And so, um, you mean you mean Paul Reiser? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I guess that was a joke. People who have seen the movie, Scoop McNary's character is essentially Paul Reiser's character from Aliens. Yes, in almost every way. Yes. And so, um, and what's interesting is both Scoot McNary and Ben Mendelsohn were in Killing Them Softly. Um, and How so about that? anyway, uh, so this is a movie that made me want to talk about that. Uh, but then in, once again, I don't feel like getting just a barrage of emails saying you hate poor people and all that kind of thing. Yeah. I assume our listeners are more nuanced than that, but that's not a good assumption based on Facebook. And you do hate poor people. So I um, do hate them. Should we, are we, we're not, we can't count Black Sea. What is your, do you want to do another? I, I've still got so much stuff to do. I don't know how many more you oh, have. Oh, good God. Okay. How far are you on that list? Uh, I've got, uh, it's off the page. <laughs> how many more I have. <laughs> and they're all movies? Uh, yeah, this is just the movie. I'm going to, yeah, I'm just going to okay, touch How about on this? You do two more. Okay. Um, I saw a movie. I will have a review up soon. It's um, very recently, as of this week, I think, out on Blu-ray from Raro Video, which is a imprint, I guess, of Kino Lorber. Okay. Raro specifically does uh, cultish or art house European films. Okay. And so I saw an Italian film called Adwa and Her Friends, Okay. Uh, which is, the more I think about it, the more I really liked it. Um, the premise is that there's a brothel in Rome that's sort of uh, all but sanctioned 
uh, by the government, you know, hmm. um, it closes down. Uh, Ottawa, one of the uh, employees, I guess, okay. one of the prostitutes, and three of the other uh, prostitutes, that would be her friends, mm-hmm. Ottawa and her friends, um, decide they want to go into business for themselves. They're going to open their own brothel. So they get some backing from a local gangster and set up uh, at this thing, this this place just outside of Rome mm-hmm. that happens to be, they don't realize it happens to be next door to a seminary. Um, that doesn't pay off as much as you think it would. But um, the gangster's advice is for a couple months, this is just going to be a restaurant. Just run it as a restaurant. You don't have to make money just, you know, just to establish a foothold. Right. Then we'll start opening the rooms upstairs. And then the restaurant starts to be a success, and these four women are like, after two months, they're like, we're kind of enjoying making all this money running a restaurant, and we don't really want to go back to being prostitutes. Let's just do this. And, of course, the gangster is like, nah, I gave you this money for a reason. That's where the tension comes in. So um, it's kind of like small-time crooks. Uh, it's kind of like small-time crooks. And it's not as overtly a comedy, though it has very um, broad comedic moments mm-hmm. in it. Um, but it stars... Uh, in a small role, smallish role, Marcelo Mastrantoni. I oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Wrong. Um, and one of the prostitutes is Emmanuel Riva, nominated for an Oscar two years ago for Amour. Yeah. Yeah. Older. She's older a, now. She's older now. This oh, there's an older from film. The 60s. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, I should have mentioned that. This is okay. from like 1960 <laughs> yeah. or 60s, early 60s. Um, anyway, that's out on Raro Video. I will have a review on the website. It's been a very busy week. Um, well, with Sundance and all, well, with not being at Sundance and all, indeed. Um, and then another movie I saw that is great. Okay, but it depressed the shit out of me. All right, even though it's a comedy. Oh, good. It's called Frank. Oh yeah. Have you seen it? No, but it's it's on Netflix, so it's a. I'm, okay. I'm planning on seeing it. It's soon. very good. You'll love it. It's yeah. very well made. It's very funny. Full of great performance. I I was so afraid it was going to be like because it just has all the markings of like. Uh, being just quirky, and quirky and, yeah, yeah, but it's not at all because Frank is for, Michael Fassbender plays Frank. Mm-hmm. He's got a mask on his head almost yeah. the entire movie. You don't see his face uh, until very late into the movie. Um, he's not the main character. The main right. character is this other guy who gets who sort of happens into joining Frank's band, played by Domhnall Gleeson. Domhnall Gleeson, yeah. And um, basically, I think you and I are similar enough that you'll understand why this depresses me basically the movie uh poses the question what if you have all the desire in the world but are hopelessly untalented and unaware of that (laughs) it was so depressing to me uh despite i mean it's also very the movie's very beautiful at times and very funny uh as well but it did leave me in a in a funk um yeah <laughs> just the just you reminding me of it uh, of the question is is rough yeah um okay though i guess ed wood wound up being a, a fun film that wasn't actually that depressing right but i mean he finds a measure of success or i guess we're able to look at ed wood knowing that people know who that's he is true now. yes yes you know this guy anyway um Another movie I watched, uh, I'd heard, I'd heard good things, um, including from our own uh, Scott and I. That's okay. right, he's ours. Yeah, <laughs> claim. Uh, yeah, I don't care what he does for, for Criterion cast. He I've never, never even heard of that. We discovered him. Um, but uh, this one's also on Netflix. A movie called Bird People. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a. It's which a, was in his top ten, I believe. 
uh, yeah, it was. It's a French film in that it takes place mostly uh, entirely in France, um, mostly at um, one at the Hilton Airport, the Hilton Paris Airport. So this isn't a travelogue France. You're mostly <laughs> seeing, you know, uh, a sort of commercial district in the airport and okay. a hotel. That's like all you really see. Um, and it introduces two characters. Um, one, a big part of the reason I wanted to watch it is uh, Josh Charles is one of my favorite uh, mm. actors working today. And he plays an American um, Silicon Valley sort of uh, um, – he, he owns a he owns some sort of – it's not important what he does. It's, okay. Uh, but he's in – he's flying to, flying to Paris for a meeting that he's supposed to fly on to Saudi Arabia for another thing. Uh, him and then – another woman who's one of the maids at the hotel where he's staying. Okay. And so it introduces them along with a bunch of other characters, uh, for about 15 minutes or so. And then it splits to where it's just Josh Charles's Charles's story okay. for the better part of an hour. And then he all but disappears. And it's just the maid story. Um, we, uh, her and her story in particular gets weird. And the movie becomes something somewhat, uh, fantastical. I'll use that word again. Um, but it does sort of seem to leave our, reality yeah. at some point d- despite being uh a completely uh largely unadorned presentation which is not to say that it's um boring looking but there's an intentional geometric flatness to the presentation where like you're often just uh at, at least up until i don't want to spoil what happens but up until her part of the story the camera is often stationary and you're framing windows so such as there are so there are frames within frames and mm. it just looks uh, – a lot of it looks static. And the, I, I think that is meant to represent both of these characters, you know, in to put it in the most trite sense, they yearn to be free. And okay. their two stories explore the different ways that they go about trying to break out of uh, whatever their lives are. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, – it's is very. I, I had seen uh, the woman who directed it did um, back in two thousand six. She did a an adaptation of Lady Chatterley's Lover that was just called Lady Chatterley mm-hmm. um, that I saw. It was very long and um, very graphic. I guess sexually. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I guess that's what that book is. I don't know. I'm not going to read that book. Um, not, <laughs> not brainy enough for that kind of that kind of nonsense. Not brainy enough. Not horny enough. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but uh, I, uh, I, I, but I had enjoyed Lady Chatterley. But this is uh, this is a, a, a whole other animal. It's, uh, it's a bird. Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm trying to figure out how to talk about it. But there's not much. I, I don't get precious about spoilers. But I don't want people to know about bird people. Right. I want them to just watch it. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so that's bird people. Okay. Um. And I'll do one more, and we'll toss it back to you. All right. Uh, because this is one you've seen. Hey, all right. Um, speaking of depressing. Okay. Um, Tommy Lee Jones is the homesman. Oh, yeah, I saw that. It's fantastic, I think. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's... Um, Hang on. It, I don't think it's fantastic. I think it's very, very good. I think it's fantastic. Okay. But I think... Um, to me... I. I couldn't help but think of this doesn't seem like an easy, uh, obvious correlation, but I couldn't help but think of, I, I like to, after I watch a movie late at night, go out, uh, onto the stairs outside my apartment and have a cigarette and hmm. think about the movie often. That's nice. And I find myself thinking about the Sopranos <laughs> and that the sort of consensus opinion uh, and including my own about the Sopranos is that it's a story about how difficult it is for people to change. Yes. That, but in the Soprano story, it's, 
the idea is life will life will give you opportunities to change, but it's so hard and so out of your comfort zone to commit to taking them that yeah. most people will choose to stay where they are. To me, the homesman is about is more depressing because it's the other way around. It's about characters who want things to be different, but the world expects certain things. Yeah. Uh, that change becomes impossible even if you want it, and that I found very uh, depressing. Um, but I feel like I can't talk. I mean. That, that, I'm even saying that is kind of giving giving away things about the end of the film. But well, think about where Tommy Lee Jones is at the end, right after what he's gone through. It's it's the mo- it's the most depressing thing in the world to me. Where that movie was well, and what's up. interesting is that like it's possible to sort of change your station and change your philosophy, but not your nature, because his character oh, makes certain. See, I don't think it's in his nature. I think. Hang on. Okay, so let's see here. I think it's in if you look at the way that Meryl Streep reacts to him mm. and the way that the guy at the gambling hall reacts to him, that's it's not internal. It's not coming from Tom Lee Jones. It's the world telling him, Don't try to change your station. Don't try to change who you are. We already we've already made up our minds about you what you are. Well, and I to me I look oh, Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> Hang on now. Uh the hotel. Uh-huh. Okay. My favorite that, scene. Yeah. But yeah, everyone speaking of the BPs. Okay. Now, I had not um, yet seen the movie when I voted for the BPs. Yeah. So I know we nominated Tim Blake Nelson for the cameo role. Yeah. And he's great. He is great, yes. James Spader is who I would have gone with. He's, he's awesome. And from now on, whenever I take a shot of liquor, I'm going to say, ah, there it went. <laughs> <laughs> I've really, I've had that like playing on a loop in my head for two weeks <laughs> since I saw the movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's wonderful. I do. I do. I was shocked when I submit because I, I i submitted tim blake nelson and i thought like this is a waste of a vote nobody's gonna <laughs> nobody is gonna go with him and surprisingly enough other people went with him that he actually wound up being nominated which i was very excited but um yeah but no the the hotel scene that seems like something that's so fascinating it's a character who previously not unlike a almost like a bogart type character mm-hmm. didn't really care was checked out of life and now he's now he's striking a blow for justice in a way that's that monstrous. is monstrous. <laughs> yeah. And so that's the idea of like, he is trying to change his actions, but he can't change his character. And it's but, almost like it would almost be better if he hadn't tried, but you know, and I, I see what you're saying, but I don't think, uh, and you've seen it more recently than I have admittedly. But I mean, I, I, we have the same, I think the memory isn't the, issue here it's just the read uh, on it because again before he does what he does at the hotel right he's treated a certain way and i think so much of it i think that's very important to my read of the film how how people treat as tommy lee jones's character changes Mm -hmm. and we're talking about it like he's i guess he's kind of the lead but i mean it's hillary swank just as much but i guess i'm more fascinated by um by this idea that we see when we're introduced to him at the beginning, he's being, uh, you know, uh, rounded up and getting, they're going to hang him. Yeah. Uh, and even as he changes over the course of the movie, the way people treat him doesn't change from that very first scene. Right. Everyone might as well be that same lynch mob. Uh, it, I mean, even Meryl Streep is a more gentle character. You can tell by the way she's, she's a little, not rude, but she's a little businesslike and short with him and then tells him at the end, even after saying thank you and everything, she says, you can go now. 
Like, yes, you know, you've done, we're done. Like, yeah. uh, that dismissiveness is so, I think it's interesting. The way that that everyone treats him is very, uh, integral to my read on the movie. It does seem, uh, that's interesting that that is your read on, on her saying that. And I, and I absolutely see where you're coming from. That was not my read on, on, (laughs) on why she said that or, or what she meant by it. But I, but I think, I think I can incorporate yours into mine as well. Okay. Which is, and yeah, and I can't, I can't go into any more detail, unfortunately. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, there are, there are huge things. I mean, people might, who might, who haven't seen the movie might have think, might, might think that we've given away a lot. There are huge things we haven't talked about that happened in the Homesman. Don't think you've been spoiled for the Homesman. Yeah, yeah. Definitely uh, check it out. Yeah. For BPs, I submitted it for best cameo and best original score. I thought the music was uh, beautiful okay. by Marco uh, Beltrami. Uh, I like a good stuff. Who, who's, uh, who's consistently turning out uh, really good stuff. But anyway. All right. What's up for you now? Next up for me is Selma, which I saw while I was uh, on vacation when Jen was shooting her wedding. Uh, so you and saw it in the South? I, yeah, I guess so. It was Miami. All right. Okay. It's not, I mean, it's Southern, but I'd venture to say that's not really the South. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I really, um, really liked it. Maybe even loved it. There was a lot of things that I really responded to. Um, I, like so many others now, I, when the Oscar nominations came out, um, as it happens, I was sitting at an airport watching the announcement. Oh, cool. Um, and, uh, you know, it's one of those things that tends to happen when you watch it is you're just writing down, you know, or, or you're, you're looking at, oh, okay, interesting, interesting. And only afterwards, when you look at the, uh, the entirety of them do you then see holy shit they left out director actor screenplay and all these other things how did they do that like at the very least actor was a foregone conclusion um and it was just astounding to me um selma is such a if you're if you're me in the uh, oscar exactly i know (laughs) that's that's uh, that's the real victim i'm the real victim here i do think so yes I did actually pretty well at the, uh, with the Oscar nominations as far as the uh, – Scott is still going to beat all of us, and I don't like how well Dan is doing. But anyway, um, <laughs> but I never like it when Dan is doing well. So, um, I mean, personal, you – This is a private conversation. I, I disagree. Dan, <laughs> you know your crimes. And so, uh, Selma, I, I will say this. It, it's a very well-acted film. That film is – I'd venture to say brilliantly written. That is a great script. Just the structure of it and just the way that they are choosing to the, the way it characterizes uh, certain historical figures. And I think maybe this is, maybe this is the mark of a great film is that the way it's directed, the way it is written, the way it is acted, they are, they all fit together perfectly because that script played in a different way by the actors would seem could seem kind of clunky or maybe even a little cold but they play it just right even a character like george wallace he's written in a way that's fairly nuanced he is viewed as a as a villain or at the very least an antagonist right just as he is in history but he's not written as an absolute monster He's written surprisingly pragmatic in some ways, right. which I think makes him somehow even scarier. But if you got a different actor 
who chose to take those lines and still play him as a monster, he, that's how he would have come across. But you get somebody like Tim Roth who immediately is like, I got, I got it. I know right, how yeah. this character is meant to be played. Same with uh, LBJ and, and all these other, and it just, it's such a complete film. Like I can't, it's just, you know, it's, we keep going back to this idea of world building. I got such a sense of the world, specifically of the movement. Yeah. And even within the movement, different ideas, you know, Malcolm X. And then I forget the name of the, of the young guys. The Snick? Snick, the, yes. The student, I can't remember. I don't recall. But, yeah. but just, and the idea that, you know, when you look back on, on history and, and any, any progress that's made, or even stuff like you look back on, uh, like the, the assassination of J, JFK, we all are taught to think, oh, what a national tragedy. But there are people that were like, ah, yeah, he deserved it. And in the same way, you think, okay, civil rights. Uh, certainly, all the African Americans were on board in what Martin Luther King was doing because look at the results he's getting. But there are plenty of people that weren't yeah. for whatever reason. And I like it; just seemed so and it, yeah, organic. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd be repeating this, but um, I remember um, Selma's my number one right now, and will probably stay that. I mm-hmm. normally try to keep it secret until but yeah you've mentioned it before yeah that's i think that's the the problem with these uh the bp the movie journals yeah oh the movie journals i see um we talked this is going back to when you lived in your old apartment i I can't remember if this is just a conversation we had or if it was an actual episode we talked about the idea of what middle brow means that was an episode okay and the term middle brow is often used to denigrate or dismiss uh, or it just has a derogatory just other d words right um and um, similar to the term melodrama, which mm-hmm. also gets used in a, in a negative way, it's not necessarily. A film can be a melodrama, a film can be middlebrow, and still be great. Yeah. I think Selma is, an, is a perfect example of a middlebrow film working at the very, the very height, if you will, yeah. of that brow. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's not necessarily formally or visually or structurally challenging do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, um, it, it, it it welcomes everybody in, but it's yeah. that's a far cry from being lowest common denominator, right? And it tells you know it hits story beats and character beats that I think are not or will be recognizable and in some ways comforting to people in a way that they should be, yeah, because it helps get big ideas across. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just perfectly made and gorgeously shot by Bradford Young, um, who also shot a most violent year this mm-hmm. year, um, and. Uh, it's just, I, I guess I, I get a, my high horse often and, you know, I'm, I'm advocating for films like Bird People, <laughs> which mm-hmm. are, I, which is something I would definitely consider more of a highbrow film. Um, but uh, I'm, I, I'm not against a standard, you know, I, uh, I'm more than welled up at multiple points in Selma just out of pure national pride or just emotional uh well it's not a manipulative film if it like right there is a way to do and, all of that in a manipulative way and i feel like uh the director often chooses to sidestep that uh yeah maybe that's what i'm talking about um that it's it it, it came it, it it evoked uh a lot of emotions in uh in me but it came by them honestly yeah. Um, and beautifully. And uh, everything was just really on point yeah. in that movie. All right. Let's move on. Okay. Um, sorry. I've got hockey scores up on my phone when I should have our list up here. I agree. Um, now, 
Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna mention a movie that I don't think you've seen, but having watched it, I'm surprised you haven't seen it because it's a Tyler movie. Um, I'm starting to people say that, and <laughs> I feel insulted. I don't know why. It just I think it's because you're clear about what you like. I guess so. You do a podcast; people know what you like. People who listen to the show, I do two of them. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, but you haven't seen the drop yet. No, not yet. You got to see it. I know. You got to see it. It's it's really good. I actually saw. When did I see a trailer for it? Somewhat recently, and uh, looked pretty great. Yeah. Uh, looked like my kind of thing, very much yeah, so. Because it is. I mean, it's a it's a crime story. It's written by Dennis Lehane mm-hmm. based on one of his short stories. Um, the short story is called Animal Rescue. Um, it has a very cute dog in it. Oh, good. Um, the, uh, but yeah, it's a crime story that hits crime beats and like works up to a big event. I don't necessarily want to say it's not a heist, but there's a big event that it's working toward. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's all very clear, but this is a, you know, the uh, plot aside, this is a 95% character driven movie. This is about not just Tom Hardy and not just James Gandolfini, but also Numi Rapaz and, uh, Mattia Shainart's, um, who was the lead in uh, Rust and Bone with Marion Cotillard oh, okay. a couple of years ago? Um, but uh, you wouldn't know that he's not American when you watch the movie. Interesting. Numi Rapace, you know, you can tell. Yeah. But she's still doing a pretty good job of kind of <laughs> of sounding American. But every once in a while, words come out or whole sentences come out, and it sounds weird. But um, it didn't bother me that much. The the accent thing. I think I gave her points for trying. Whereas, because um, that's got to be a hard thing. It does. My you know? I, my problem is not with the with the, the actor, but it, part of me just feels like there has to. I'm sure there's an American actor that could right. have played this part, or in this case, just write in that she's from somewhere else. Yeah. it's not that important. Exactly. Whereas in Big Eyes, Christoph Waltz being in that movie, as much as I love Christoph Waltz, it's crazy that he's in that movie. The character, yeah. the character needs to be American. Not just because it's based on a true story where the character was American, yeah. but for his motivations. Have you seen Big Eyes? Uh, no, I don't yeah. plan on it. Um, oh, it's, I don't think you should avoid it. Um, it's just, it's not that I'm avoid. it's just not a, at all a priority okay. for me. I can see that, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, the drop, really good. Yeah, well, and that's a standard Dennis Lehane thing. I mean, Mystic River and Gone right. Baby Gone, like right. just creating a creating a world once again, or a specific, often an underworld. But then within that, the plot being, yeah, I guess kind of important, but more important is the effect that it is having on, on these characters. Um, next up is my first 2015 release. Hey, very exciting. Um, my review is already up. Boy, it wasn't a, black sea is a 2015. Oh, I think you're right. I guess you're right. I didn't yeah. think about that. Okay. Um, all right. My second one then, right. um, strange magic. Woof just you can you can give it a, you can give it a miss yeah it's, i don't need to go into it more it's just i did start reading your review on that partially because i'm like what the hell is this <laughs> i i didn't know anything about it uh, and uh, as i started reading i just thought okay this is it's a very loose retelling of a midsummer night's dream with pop songs it's a musical except it's a jukebox musical um, I guess that's, that's what you call it, right? Jukebox musical when they're, I have no idea when they're existing songs that oh, you okay. recognize. Um, but they're all terrible, terrible versions of these songs. Yeah. You know, strange magic by electrical orchestra. That's a great song. Oof, not here. 
This and, is this is like years ago. One of the first reviews that I wrote for the site, Nomeo and Juliet. It's like that. <laughs> uh, which is which I reference in my review, oh, Nomeo right. and Juliet, because um, like Nomeo and Juliet, Strange Magic, Disney film released as a touchstone picture. Indeed. I don't know what that's what that says if they're trying to distance themselves. Yeah, from they're it. willing to put their stamp on basically anything, as I have very as I very much learned from <laughs> right. my uh, Disney World trip, but uh, um, not this one. But here's what I'll, I'll I'm going to sum it up. Uh, this is what I said to to my wife. Um, you know the song that uh, I'm not sure what the name of the song is, but it goes "Sugar Pie Honey Bunch." Yeah, you know? yeah. And the next line is, as everyone knows, you know that I love you. Emphasis on the I, right? Yep. The way they sing it, it's, you know that I love you. And that is a metaphor for the entire movie. <laughs> the way that it's flattened out, it's yeah. robbed of that punch. Yeah. It's robbed of any character. It's drained. The whole movie, like what they did to that melody, is flattened. <laughs> okay. Um, I couldn't put that in my review because I, I couldn't do a recording of myself singing in the oh. review. Though why not? Like in the digital age, maybe we should start recording. We should have gotten West involved in this, <laughs> right? No, I, 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 I want. Done, I haven't done those audio reviews in a while. Um, all right, do you have more? I've got one more. Oh, I'll do a few more. How about I finish my movies? Do one more yours, then I make some brief TV mentions. Okay, very brief because we got to. This is going on too long. Okay, here's one though that I kind of wish you had seen. Or I kind of wish Scott were here because I know he loves it. He's seen it multiple times, and I don't know how to feel about it. Oh, I saw your tweet about this, and I uh, and I immediately. Oh, okay, uh, it's I goodbye to language 3D. That's the one. What did I tweet about? Scatological humor. Oh yeah, yes, yes. This is a movie. Oh, we talk about highbrow. It's messing with form. It's in- intentionally challenging everything you know about the language of cinema and just the, the real goodbye language. To it. Of how, yeah, get the it out of, of here. How we, how we talk to each other as humans. It also has a ton of fart and shit jokes. And it's, again, that's a metaphor for how, like, the movie is, I don't know how you could say, I I know it's it's only 70 minutes, and I know Scott's seen it multiple times, but again, like with Mr. Turner, but even more so here, I don't know how you could sit through it more than once. It's, I'm really impressed by what what was done. It definitely Mm -hmm. feels like it's not, I mean, in some ways, it feel, uh, some I, I read so many reviews I forget who said but someone says that it's like someone gave Godard a list of things you're not supposed to do with 3D and he did all of them one by one mm-hmm. but it's not just him fucking around like that it does it is a fully conceived uh, object and it, the, everything that's in there is in there for a reason and I really respect it but it was m- one of the least pleasant movie going experiences I've had yeah. um and not just because of the scatological humor, but also because of the way he fucks with the 3D. It's literally painful to watch to me. Like, my eyes were burning and watering the entire time. I kept having to take off the glasses and, like, wipe my eyes because, like, it kept making my eyes water. Um, it's it's intentionally antagonistic to its audience. And so I want to ask Scott how he can go see it multiple times. Um, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's bad. It's, it's really remarkable and impressive. But my gut association with it if you if you woke me from a deep sleep and said <laughs> how do you feel a good goodbye to language 3d i'd say Ugh. <laughs> Ugh, let me go back to sleep <laughs> yeah exactly except now i can't so that's my feeling on goodbye to language 3d i'm okay. glad that i glad that i saw it in 3d um but uh yeah i think i'm done with that um last week i also saw um 
getting back to older films, uh, friend of the show, West Anthony and I went to the, um, light and noir exhibit at the Skirball cultural center, um, which is about film noir, but Skirball center being specifically a Jewish cultural, cultural center. Um, a lot of the exhibits were specifically about Jewish emigres, hmm. uh, and how, how many, how many of the people, the, the writers and composers and directors and producers and actors that helped craft film noir as we know it yeah. were Jewish and were, uh, uh, you know, European. Yeah. Um, that's, it's really interesting, but they also, with the ticket price, uh, there was a double feature. So Wes and I spent the late morning, early afternoon walking around the, the exhibits, got some lunch and then took in a double feature. Uh, one of them was, uh, pitfall, which is one that I didn't, I, I'm not sure if I'd heard the name. I didn't know pitfall. The other yeah. one was crisscross, which I'd at least heard of, but hadn't, haven't seen, uh, hadn't seen. Um, but pitfall was first, and is the one that left a deeper impression on me because kind of like the drop, it has a lot of the trademarks of a noir film, mm-hmm. but it's, uh, it's less, there's far less violence in pitfall than, uh, than in crisscross. And it's far less overtly about crime. So much more of it is domestic hmm. actually. Ugh. Um, <laughs> That sounds rough. <laughs> uh, like domestic violence? No, or? no. Okay. I mean, it's a domestic film. It's oh, okay. a, a, in many ways, it's about a marriage. Okay. Um, and yeah, Jane Wyatt plays uh, his his wife, and she's fantastic. Um, but the main premise of Pitfall is that there's he's an insurance guy, because they always are in noir movies. And uh, he's unhappy with his life. He's sort of, you know, he has a wife and a kid and a job, and it's just very routine to him. Yeah. And so on a job where he has to go to this woman's apartment and sort of do a tally of the things that she has that were bought with stolen money mm-hmm. um that she has to be returned uh for insurance or whatever um sort of i guess falls for her and slips up but unlike she's not a standard femme fatale where she no. ropes him into a life of crime just the fact that he falls for her is where things no. and you know it's a film from uh the the 40s so there's no sex scene but it's kind of he stays late. I think the at, yeah, at yeah. her house. The idea is that they have sex, um, but then it turns out that a PI who does some work for the for- firm, who's a psychotic and is played by Raymond Burr, hey, already right. has his eyes on this woman and is willing to uh, rough up our guy, or or worse, mm-hmm. uh, if he stands between him and this woman who has no, no, wants nothing to do with him. And also, her husband is in prison and might be getting out soon. So. There's the there's the trouble, but so there's little a, of it. There's a lot of Scarlet Street in this. Yeah, reminds me yeah, um, and, and yeah, that's a which that's I a love good by comparison. The way. Scarlet Street is a is a good one, um, but it just it, it only has one real shocking act of violence um, near the end. Uh, but it, it's it, it's a fantastic script. Um, it's it's it has a lot of gallows humor, um, which you know the best noir movies do. Yep. Um, and I would re- I would definitely recommend it. Um, and then yeah, Crisscross, uh, which I knew more about, um, and has Burt Lancaster, uh, and is definitely more of the kind of noir thing uh, you're used to, where a guy, uh, a regular guy, a non-crime guy, gets himself into a life of crime because <laughs> a non-crime uh, guy, <laughs> a non-crime guy gets himself into a life of crime um, because of not in this case not necessarily because a woman convinces it to him to, but 
basically this guy was married. He got divorced and then went away for a while, lived somewhere else. And he comes back and he still has feelings for his ex-wife and she's taken up with a criminal. And Mm -hmm. so he sort of gets into that life mostly to try and get her back. Uh, And then it becomes horribly bleak and nothing goes well for anyone as is supposed to happen in these kind of movies. And then it ends at the moment that things are at their worst and you're like, Ooh, the lights come up and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a rough one, but it's quite good. Incidentally, while you were talking, I looked something up because I was uh, reminded of something and sure enough, as though I, as though uh, pitfall wasn't close enough to Scarlet street, uh, Edward G. Robinson's name in Scarlet Street is Criss Cross. <laughs> Isn't that strange? Uh, yeah, that is funny. Um, there's a movie here I can't talk about because I'm under embargo. Oh, watch aren't out. You, aren't you guys jealous? Um, <laughs> it's good. You wouldn't think it's good, but it's actually pretty good. Uh, that's I've, already, I've already forgotten what it was. <laughs> yeah, I told you beforehand. Yeah. Um, and then I saw two movies yesterday. We're up to yesterday now. Okay. One of them was incredible. Okay. Um, it is the new newish animated film Song of the Sea. The oh, Irish yeah. animated film. Did you see The Secret of Kells? Uh, no, I didn't. The Secret of Kells is is uh, beautiful, but I also felt like the story was a little bit... Uh, Bullshit. <laughs> just overburdened with its mystical stuff, and it kind of... Um, it didn't connect with me emotionally consistently throughout. Song of the Sea corrects that problem and is incredible. Okay. Um and I, I don't need to go. It's uh, uh, there's a boy. Uh, his mother dies in childbirth. He's kind of mean to his little sister because of it. And then it turns out his little sister is magic, and um, oh. things are going wrong. And he has to get his little sister. He has to take care of his little sister to get her to a place where her magic can essentially save the world. Oh, okay. That's the idea of the movie. Um, it has some. Uh, um, it has a couple of great um, actors in the voice cast. The boy's father is uh, Brendan Gleeson, hey, and right. also he plays another role. And the boy's grandmother is Fiona Flanagan. Hey, all right. And she also plays another role. Um, that's yeah, that's important. But uh, it's uh, yeah, it's it's gorgeous, and it has a an an emotional depth to it that you sort of that 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 maintains that you're sort of like. It's almost like you're, uh, it creates this software. It's, I, I almost feel like what it must feel like to be in like one of those sensory deprivation chambers, you know, where you're like in water and sort of floating yeah. and you're disconnected from the rest of the world. And it's just, the movie just wraps you up in that. It's very calming okay. and, uh, and emotional and, but then, and, and it doesn't let you out until the end, but in a way that you're, you're not dying to get out. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it, it just, yeah, it wraps you up and carries you to its conclusion. And, uh, it, there's not really a lot of, uh, 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 what's what I'm looking for? Uh, there's not any hiccups in it. Okay. You know, it's interesting. Um, I was thinking about the, the best animated feature Oscar lately, and for the last few years, I, I mean, I like what I like what has been happening with that category because, yes, I recognize Lego Movie wasn't nominated, but this film was, as was right. The Tale of Princess. Is it Kagaya, Kagaya I, I or something? I, I don't remember it. exactly how you say it. But, um, you know, that and then, you know, Secret of Kells and just Persepolis, I believe, was nominated. Like, Yeah, that's a good one. I do like that they have taken full advantage of the category 
that it's not just all the obvious ones, that it's not just Pixar, DreamWorks, just the standard, all the studio stuff. There, there's often one or two nominees that, yes, it probably won't win, but you saw this. Undoubtedly, you got the opportunity to see this movie because it was nominated. Yeah, I had no idea. It was still like it had played one week at the New Art, and I was sure I missed it. Yeah. And then I happened to just notice it was playing at the Landmark, um, which is a theater I like uh, anyway. Um, and so I, yeah, swung by after work, and it's only 91 minutes or whatever. It's, yeah. yeah. And, it's, and it's probably not a movie you would have even been aware of, right? I, I I had it on my list from the LA Weekly review. Okay, that's one of the few, one of the sources where I get things. So I remember okay. LA Weekly giving it a good review at some point. I don't okay. know if it played. It might have played at AFI Fest. Maybe that's where okay. I heard of it. Um, but I didn't see it there, and then I missed it at the New Art. Yeah. Um, because I literally had one free night that whole week. It was there, and I saw two days one night instead. Hmm. Um. And yeah, so I'm yeah I'm glad, and, but I'm I'm sure you're right. I, it might not have it might not still be in a theater if yeah. it weren't for the Oscar nomination. Yeah. So like like with Timbuktu, I hope people get a chance to check this out. Okay. Um, and the other movie you saw yesterday, I mean, Deep Sigh. Here yeah, we go. Because it's one of those movies that I really had my hopes up for. I was really looking for. I came home. Um, it was when I came home from Song of the Sea, and then uh, you know my wife went to bed, and I usually have a couple hours. She goes to bed earlier than I do because she gets up earlier than I do. So I was like, I'm looking forward to – I'm going to rent this movie from Amazon. And I've been really looking forward to seeing it. It's called Dear White People. Mm. And it just wasn't – eventually it came around to a place where I really uh, got into it. But I felt – I really wish you had seen it. Or I really wish we had someone here who had seen it. Um, because – I, I, I'm very conflicted about my feelings about it. I wish that it had been, I wish that I had felt that it was more cutting and more insightful about, um, all of the ways that racism still exists in ways that don't look like Mississippi burning. It don't look like right. we talked about that off mic, but don't look like Selma. Or did we talk about Mr. Burning on mic? I think we did. Yes. Okay. Yeah, we did. Yeah. We were talking about prison movies and that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, ra- racism doesn't always, uh, in fact, fairly, maybe fairly rarely these days looks like those movies, right? but it still exists in small ways all the time. Yeah. And I really wish I would have enjoyed dear white people a lot more if it had portrayed things where I, and I think this is the idea where I, as a white person would have felt like, oh shit, like, right. I wonder if I do that. I think I do that. And and it didn't. I've never in my life, nor would I even think to ask if I can touch a black person's hair just to see what it feels like. But that's something that the movie's very hair obsessed, actually. Interesting. Um, but apparently this is something that happened. And this, this is where my difficulty comes in. For all I'm saying, like, oh, they make the white characters too clueless. Yeah. Um, the fact is it culminates in a hip-hop slash black-themed campus party where white people are literally wearing blackface and um, pretending to be black people. And the thing is, as I already knew from the news, but as they show in the closing credits, that shit happened a ton. Mm -hmm. There are a ton, like the closing credits are peppered with pictures from college parties that had that theme and have white people in blackface, blackface. So as much as I feel like, Oh, they didn't make the white characters realistic enough. Well, apparently they did. Like that's (laughs) the most shocking thing about, 
dear white people is the fact that there are still white people out there who would find this uh, shocking. There are still people who are that clueless, I guess. Oh yeah. Um, and so I, well, I think, I think and now, now I feel like I'm patting myself on the back. Like, Oh, I didn't like it, but I'm more enlightened, <laughs> but I, maybe that's what I'm saying. Well, I think that the issue that you're talking about is the stuff that you would have liked it to call attention to is stuff that is inherently internal okay. stuff that people think or feel as no, opposed no, to stuff I, that but, people say. But I, I do think that there are probably ways I'm sure if you asked one of my black coworkers mm-hmm. um, for an example, they could probably come up with an example of something that I've done or said. First off, I, you should just call them coworkers. Exactly. <laughs> There's number one right there. there. <laughs> I'm sure they could come up with an example of that that coworkers have done, including possibly myself. Sure. That never occurred to me. You know. Yeah. I'm sure uh, that my black coworkers are. They see things all day that completely go over my head. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I guess I would have liked, I guess I would have liked to feel worse about myself while watching Dear White People. Well, see, I felt like this is, this feels like, and I know it, it's college students, so maybe that's kind of the point that maybe. they're more, more blustered than intellect in a lot of ways. Um, and it's the kind of conversations I might have overheard or had 10 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's I mean, you almost want to feel when you see something like this, you almost want to be challenged. You want to come out a and better And I think that's definitely that's definitely its uh its its goal. Yeah. Um and um it does in the end, I don't want to give away things that happen, but it becomes um I I think very wisely it becomes more complex and instead of working toward a point, it almost gets diluted because at the end you come more and more, it more and more points out that there isn't white people and black people. There are, this white person feels this way, this white person feels this way, this black person feels this way, this black person feels this way. It's, um, there aren't two sides to this. Right. There are, there are just groups of people and they're made up of individuals who have their own point of view. And so, right. Like a Battleship Retention episode, instead of working towards a conclusion, it actually has more questions by the end than it started with. And you like that. That I really like. Okay. But I, I just wish... So, David, what you're saying is, in a way, we're all racist. Oh, what, what, yes. I'm, okay. Not in, not in so a way. So it's like Crash. We are all racist. So it's like Crash. <laughs> oh, it's much better than Crash. I'll say that. I'm just saying right that's, that that's how Crash ended. Um, but this is the point that I'm talking about. We are all racist, and I wish I would have felt bad watching Dear White People, but I felt like there's no way I'd do or say something that's stupid. You know, right. I wouldn't ask a girl for hair was weave. That's <laughs> that happens like right at the beginning. It's like, that's not cool. Uh, yeah. But I don't know. You know See, I almost f- wish we could have, uh, you know, one, one of our many, many black friends that you and I have, because we're totally not racist. We have tons of black friends. Exactly. I go uh, out of my way to make sure I always have at least one black friend. <laughs> well, as somebody points out the, the minimum is now two. That's one of the things Shit. that she says. Dear white people, the minimum number of black friends you can have, you need to have to not be racist is now two. Hang on. Let me <laughs> do a little mental Rolodex here. <laughs> I haven't called him in a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I wish we – I would I would like to talk about this movie further and um, uh, I would love to have uh, a black person's point of view on this podcast about um, how often does stuff like that happen? How often do people ask yeah. to feel your hair? Which is crazy. Let me ask um, you this. And – Here's an instance of me 
asking a question, although it was not unprompted. When I worked at Blockbuster in Chicago, uh-huh. um, I was one of two uh, white uh, employees at the Blockbuster, and there were probably eight or nine black employees uh, because – and that was most of the customer base as well. And so they would often have conversations and use terms that I didn't know. And so uh-huh. I, I asked like – so specifically the term ashy. Uh-huh. And I said, and it was this guy, Alan, that I got along really well with. I said, Alan, I'm so sorry for asking this question. I feel like there's no way to ask it in a really tactful way. You've, you guys have used the term ashy, and I don't know what it means. Uh-huh. And <laughs> See, I don't think there's anything racist about that, but I'm not the one who gets to decide that. Right. I mean, it's – and admittedly, like, it wasn't – it wasn't like it came out of nowhere. It was in response to them using it. And I also – and I'm also aware that I've asked – any number of people, sometimes it's people that all have a certain profession or people that all love a certain thing. And in this case, it's all it's people who all happen to be of the same race. Um, and it's something I don't know. And now I do know. Yeah. And so uh, so but in that moment, I was like, uh, I don't know if the, I feel like my can, motives are pure here. Can I tell you about a story from when I was in middle school? OK. When I said something that in retrospect was most definitely racist. OK. Um. I loved the movie Friday, right? Oh boy! Okay. And I was talking in gym class to one of my co- one of my classmates who was black about Friday, and he and I was like, "Did you see Friday?" And he was like, "Oh yeah." He's like, "Trust me, every black person has seen Friday." I took him at his at his word, and start later that day in a different class, started talking to a different black classmate about Friday. Just assuming that he had seen it, and he he asked not to be seated next to me anymore. <laughs> There's only one way that story is worse, which is if you talk to that second guy thinking it was the first guy. <laughs> right? Yeah. No. Um, yeah, that was something that I have that I did that I feel bad about. But I think that can be attributed to just you know youth. You just accept. Yeah, I'm fucking, I was know. twelve years old. Exactly. I, I don't feel bad bad about it anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wonder if that guy, the second guy. Uh, if he still thinks I'm racist, um, but that isn't, that's not going to keep me up at night. Yeah. But he definitely thought I was racist and was definitely right to think that I had done something racist. And you know, I, I remember when I was a kid, I used to, um, collect, uh, like Marvel cards, uh, like comic book cards of different characters okay. and stuff. And I would trade them with my friends and I had a friend named Jared and we were trying, I was trying to like get him into the cards and, so I basically like gave him all of my doubles. And so I gave him and one of the cards that I gave him was Red Skull. Uh-huh. And behind the Red Skull was a big old Nazi flag. Turned out Jared was Jewish. And he said, oh, I can't take that one. And I and I had no idea why. And I didn't it didn't occur to me. It just and that's the thing. I'm not sure if he knew why, but I think he had learned. I mean, we we're what, like eight. I think right. we were eight. And he knew that, like, that symbol is a bad thing. And I think I had only seen it in terms of that's a villain. And so that right. bad. So I knew that symbol, too. But it was a symbol for you. It was, it was a symbol from popular culture. Yeah. It's than, Raiders yeah. of the Lost Ark, stuff right, like that. Yeah. And for him, it was not merely a symbol for bad. It's a symbol for a very specific kind of bad that I can't even go near. Right. So that was that actually wound up being something that I didn't even I think I, I don't think I even realized Oh, there's something more to this for until years later. Yeah. 
but uh, but yeah, that was an interesting uh, interaction, and it's and in it, moments like that, really do make you realize, as you know, or make me realize that like as a white, you know, Protestant, uh, upper middle class uh, kid, that there were ent- there are entire little just even s- smaller things like that, like recognizing that there's a symbol that is anti me, mm-hmm. that that's not a thing that I really ran across, right. And so it's, I don't know, it's, it's interesting to look back on those moments in, in your adulthood and, and realize not that I had done anything wrong, but that it's just, I was miles away from that. So anyway, uh, what yeah, else did yeah, you, that's now I see you writing something down quickly. Is it because you realized you saw something else? What's the deal? No, this is, these notes are for later. Okay. Uh, yeah, so something I saw today. So, David, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm I'm not sticking by your rule. <laughs> I wouldn't uh, expect you to. I saw Michael Winterbottom's uh, the trip to Italy. Oh, okay. Now, have you had you seen the trip? Yes. Okay. And uh, one of our probably one of our better recent more than one lesson episodes is about the trip. And uh, trip to Italy, I also really liked. And have you did you see the trip? I did not. Okay, and you so you haven't seen the trip to Italy? Right. I assume. Okay, uh, boy. What I like about those movies is you think you know what you're getting, and you are getting that, but you're getting a lot more. Uh, Especially with the trip, so many people, I think, watched it having already seen clips of dueling Michael Caines and stuff like that. And you think it's just going to be silliness. And a lot of it is, but these films are so deeply melancholy of these two guys who are – they're playing themselves – and they're successful actors, but they're also not necessarily household names. They're reflecting on getting older. They're reflecting on success. They're reflecting on uh, the type of husbands and fathers they are. And and in the midst of being funny with one another. And it's just – it's so – it feels – but it's not done in, in – it's not meant to be like a camera's following them. But it feels like that. So it feel, it's very uh, cinema verite. It's just very like in the moment. And it feels very uh, improvised. And I have no doubt that it is. But it, but not completely because, you know, uh, Steve Coogan, his character has a – the character of Steve Coogan has a son named Joe. And maybe the real Steve Coogan does. I don't know. But the actor – but his son is not played by his son. Right. And so uh, so there is – Is it Martin Freeman? It's yes. Yeah. He plays several characters. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And so the, uh, so the clear, there were written moments. It's, it's just such a fascinating. And I feel like this is something Michael Winterbottom does a lot. Cause I was a big fan of Tristram Shandy and just the way he just melds reality with, uh, fiction mm-hmm. and then says that it's all reality is fascinating to me. And, just the way these guys interact, it, it honestly reminded me a little bit of like you and me or me and Jason, just people that I've known for a long time. And we can make jokes while also saying very serious things and just and and just the, the films ultimately wind up being very way more meditative than you would think they would be, um, while also, again, being very funny at the same time. And often, even within one conversation, it can shift uh, and you can have these guys doing impressions of actors and then immediately realizing I'm never going to be as popular as this guy. And is that, is that important to me? It's really, it's, I, I, and I believe at this point, both of them are on Netflix and I highly recommend, uh, everybody watch them. They're really good. Okay. 
All right. Let's, uh, some quick, I just want to check in real quick on a few TV shows. All right. Uh, now, last time we recorded, Empire had premiered, but I had not watched it yet. Now I've seen, what, three or four episodes of Empire. Okay. Um, I'm really getting into it, but okay. it, the, the, the pilot was like almost universally like loved by critics and I was not on board with the pilot and I feel like sometimes I still bring like a movie sensibility to uh to 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 a show and especially with a pilot well, you are certainly not alone uh yeah and but I I tr- I I rail against that I try so hard not to do that that yeah. sometimes I forget like this is just the first episode they're setting things up right. here um, it's okay that it's a little broad because the, it's supposed to let you know what everything's going to be, and then it can drill down further into different topics and characters as it goes on, which is what right. the show has done, and I'm actually glad that I stuck with it. I'm enjoying it more now. Um, speaking of pilots, um, there's a series that's showing on the Sundance Channel right now called Babylon, um, which is about um, the London police force, but Specifically, one of the main characters is an American played by Britt Marling, who is hired to essentially be the PR person for the police force. So it's police stories, but it also encompasses police PR, which is a great... uh, It's pretty good. uh, But I haven't watched any of the actual series that's aired on Sundance. What Sundance didn't show, and I'm not sure why, if it's the right issue or whatever, was the standalone pilot directed by Danny Boyle. Oh, all right. Danny Boyle directed like an 80-minute pilot that's essentially like episode zero. Okay. And then, which, and that didn't air on Sundance, but you can watch the Babylon pilot. And I did on Amazon. And I totally recommend people do that. Okay. It's been, it's like three bucks to watch it in HD. Um, and it's great. It's one, it's gotta be one of the best pilots I've ever seen. And maybe I'm saying that as a movie person, because it behaves more like a movie. Okay. Um, Moving on, what else? Uh, Adventure Time is back to um, regular episodes now, and they've been um, really fantastic. They did an episode uh, that I'm um, forgetting the name of right now, but uh, it was essentially – I compared it on Twitter to the lost episode Across the Sea, which I know is a very de- divisive episode. Which one is the that? The one with Alice and Janney from the final season. Um, oh, yes, The one that yes. doesn't have any of the main characters yes, yes. lost in it. I like that episode. Uh, so do I. And uh, Adventure Time did their version of that. Hmm. Um, Archer is back. And I I don't know if I'm just burned out, but just like last season, loved the, first, loved the premiere with each subsequent episode. I'm kind of like, yeah, I know these stories. I know these jokes. I know yeah. like you're kind of hitting the same points over and over again. Uh, speaking of hitting the same things over and over again, Glee is back and is in its shortened final season. Yeah. And I've enjoyed it more than I thought I would, but it has become even by Glee standards, increasingly meta and has, uh, you know, um, uh, like Jane Lynch's character went off on, uh, the Will Schuster, the Glee club instructor, um, and, uh, dressed him down for completely forgetting about, all the students that are actors that have come and gone from the show, like someone who mm-hmm. was on the show for a brief arc and then was essentially written out of the Glee Club. Ah. And so she's like addressing that and then talking about how you don't even know the names of the band who have played the background music for every song you've ever done. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's like this is kind of what the show is now. And I'm, it's, I'm not dreading it. Like I'm still enjoying it, but I do. I am kind of just marking time as it, uh, as it uh, winds down to its finale finale. Um, and, oh, 
Broad City is back. Okay. Which is possibly the best show on TV right now. Okay. It's with Adventure Time in terms of the best show. Have you watched Broad City? No. Because I think you would really like it. It's very funny. Okay. Um, and, oh, uh, the other um, new series, and I think this is all that I had that I wanted to talk about, uh, is the HBO uh, series Togetherness, um, produced by the Duplass brothers oh, and yes, Steve yes. Zissis, I think is his name. He okay. was in the Dodecapentathlon, which is one of the okay. Duplass brothers movies, which is a good movie. Um, and I have not been enjoying Togetherness, but I have been watching it. Okay. Um, you know, because only half hour. And it has funny stuff in it. Peter Gallagher was on the last episode. But, uh, and I talked about this on Hey, Watch This. Um, it's, uh, did you watch Married on FX at all with a Nat Fax and Judy Greer no. show? That's a picture of marriage that is hilarious and also really depressing because it's very specific and it just it just has this feeling of uh yeah this is what it's really like to be in your late 30s and married with kids um and there are things about it that are very rewarding but most of it is a grind yeah and i feel like that's what togetherness is kind of part of its premise is but compared to married it just feels like it's way too soft it's got the kid gloves on it's way too hmm. broad um, which is too bad because I've liked a lot of the Duplass brothers stuff. Um, that's it. Did you watch any TV? Yeah. And actually, you know what? It occurred to me. Uh, I guess I'll hold off on talking more about it until I finish uh, the movie. But I started watching Calvary, uh, but I was unable to finish it. Uh, I had to return the red box and go to Disney World. Um, <laughs> but uh, what I saw of it, I loved and I will uh, talk more about it when the time comes. Um, yeah, uh, TV, I, I really only watch a couple of things. Uh, I watch Gotham, uh, much to my surprise. Um, <laughs> and I'll say the same thing I always do. All the elements are there. They're not in the correct proportions. They're not mi- I'll keep them with the cooking thing. They're not mixed correctly. They're not, uh, cooking in them at the right temperature or for long enough they rush some things. They take way too long on others. Uh, some stuff like there needs to be more of an arc to some things. Well, while, while uh, much less in others, it's just amazing that they've got like the show looks really good visually. Mm-hmm. Um, it has really good characters. It has good actors playing them. And yet somehow, I guess it, I guess it boils down to the writing, but also pacing is an issue. Um, there are every once in a while, there's a scene where it's like that now there it is right there. John Doman, who was, uh, in the wire, the wire he's and great. Oz. And Oz. Yes. And, um, recently on Showtime's the affair. Oh, okay. I didn't see that, but, uh, but yeah, he's great. And, uh, Jada Pinkett is great. Um, Robin Lord Taylor as penguin is great. I like what they're doing. Well, okay, hang on. I like the performance and I like the way Nigma is written. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're taking his character in interest in an interesting direction where he's like kind of falling for this, uh, this one girl who seems actually interested in him. And I feel like they're going to take him towards romantic tragedy. And maybe that will be the catalyst that ma- turns him into what he is, which has never been the Riddler. And I feel like that, like, the Riddler is head, not heart. Uh-huh. Uh, and he's a character who is. But very, what if something, what if his heart gets broken so badly that he, retre- the, the, he becomes the Riddler we know because he retreats away from that and goes completely into his head. Maybe 
I don't think it's, I don't think these writers have that ability. Hmm. Um, but, uh, but that'd be neat if they were to do that. Um, and, and I think this actor could pull it off, but, uh, but yeah, anyway, so it's just so frustrating to see. And especially when, when, when a scene does occasionally work and you just think like, Oh my gosh, the rest of the show could be this. And it's not. And just, uh, it's very frustrating at times. Is, uh, how Bruce Wayne is what, like 10 or 11 yeah. on the show? Is he in every episode? He's in uh, almost, yes. Okay. And hit, and you know what? His scenes, his and Alfred's scenes are, and maybe even rightfully so, the most consistently good. And, and are his and parents powerful. already dead? Yes. Okay. They, they're, I believe, the very first scene of the first episode are his oh, parents okay. being killed. Okay. That is the catalyst that sets things off. Okay. Uh, in in a lot of different directions, but Jim Gordon is the if there's a hero of the show, it's Jim Gordon. Yes. Okay. And um, how is uh, Ben? What's his name? Mackenzie. Ben Mackenzie. I've always liked him. I do too. But the again, like I said, his character should have more of an arc. But they, he's playing him too flat to one note, hmm. um, and it's very bothersome. And they've they've even got like the great Donald Logue as a character that is very Donald Logue, but. Um, but even he's becoming one note. It's they I, maybe that's the issue is they don't seem to know how to stretch this out into a full series. Um, they're just hitting the same notes over and over again. Yeah, because it's going to be a long time before Batman is Batman ready. Exactly. Right? But that's the thing is like with every episode, they're adding stuff to that character. They're adding stuff to Alfred, and that's why those scenes are the strongest. Um, and maybe it's it's because this kid is we're watching him bit by bit turn into this thing right do you think they like run of if the show keeps going do you think they'd run out of out of out of, out of ideas and end up making like a 13 year old batman like in like in season three that'd be kick-ass is he, is he gonna be batman already just because they're out of shit to do my guess is it's <laughs> probably season three or four they'll uh jump ahead several years and he will now be in his 20s that's just my guess um that said they got to get rid of this fucking Catwoman because uh, she's his age and the actress is not good, and they keep shoe, shoehorning her in, and she's just I, – I don't like the way she's written, yeah. and no thank you. Um, in fact, it, just in – aside from Jada Pinkett, they don't seem to know how to write uh, female characters. There is a – what amounts to mostly a cameo. Uh, the Penguin's mother is played by Carol Kane, huh. and she's delightful. That's great. Because she's sort of this uh, – overly nurturing maybe nurturing isn't the word yeah. clingy uh uh like foreign you, woman uh, like because he's oswald uh cobblepot and she and he's from the the cobbleput fa uh, family oh, okay and it's it and her character is just really i don't know if they again like if they steered into the vibe of certain characters in certain scenes this show would be expressionistic and wonderful do you know when you said carol kane for just a split second I pictured Carol Channing. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Admittedly, I would. That'd be a better show. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I will say, sorry. Uh, no, this is quite all right. I just thought it was I've only got the two shows, so I'll talk more about them. I thought Survivor was over. Survivor is over. So what, what else could you possibly have? Parks and Rec. All right. Okay. Uh, speaking of final seasons. Yeah. As we were with Glee. My uh, my issue with Parks and Rec uh, remains. Uh, it was Scott who brought this to my attention uh, several months ago, and and he had put his finger on on something, and I completely agree, which is that the show is just too damn positive. 
Uh, and I know that sounds weird, but it's, and for a while it was doing really well, having a certain type of tension between characters. And it was like, oh, this is really compelling. And then it resolved it to such an extreme degree that you have people high-fiving and hugging and saying, we did it. Literally, we did it. Like, we've worked together to solve this thing. The the characters always work really well when they have uh, an enemy to go up against. You know, whether it be Leslie is uh, has a is running for office and has uh, an enemy or she is she's in office and one of the other councilmen uh, is going against her. They work very well in that regard. And this season had that, but now it's solved and there's going to be more episodes and I have no idea what they're going to do with them. And it's just really bothersome. But then also um, they're burning it off pretty quickly. Are they? Because they're doing two episodes a week. Yeah, I guess they are. So it'll be over, I think by the end of February. Okay. Well, that's good. Um, and the, uh, and the other thing, I know this may sound strange. So do you know that they, it takes place in 2017? Yeah, I didn't. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of a neat idea. Uh, but one of the things that they, so, uh, are there, are there jetpacks? No, but they do show there, there is neat new technology. Uh, that's a lot of fun. Um, but, uh, like Ben and Leslie, do do these care? Do you ever watch the show? Do these characters mean anything to you? Uh, I believe the term is cultural osmosis. Okay. So I, I know the characters' names. I know who Ben and Leslie okay. are. So they have kids now. They have three okay. kids that we never Jesus. that we never see. Wait. Triplets. Okay. Uh, like yeah, yeah. They must all be Irish twins. <laughs> uh. Uh, yeah, and we never see them. We only see these characters talk about their kids and how much of a handful they are. And then we never see them. We never see them doing any parenting at all. And part of me is like, okay, I recognize maybe this is kind of a workplace comedy, except it's not. We see a lot of their home life. They just seem like, oh, we want these characters to be parents. We just don't want any of that. And that bothers me tremendously. That is something that happens often in both movies and TV shows. And when I think about it, it bothers me because it seems unrealistic. But in the moment, I almost never notice because... I generally don't think about children when they're not around. Well, so I, I tend to forget that characters have kids when that happens and in you know what? a TV show. Like if Homer and Marge go on a trip and Maggie's nowhere to be seen, it doesn't bother me if they don't make mention of it. Right. But they've got stuff like, uh, you know, Ben and Leslie will be at home and Leslie will be eg- exiting uh, one of the bedrooms and she's like, oh, they're finally asleep. I'm like, uh-huh. Who? These children that you that you've not I don't think you've given them any names and maybe they did and I don't remember uh, how could I uh, but part of me is at the same time is like you're referencing these kids and I would love to see Leslie as a mother that would be really interesting you're like you're like Gotham you're you're showing a, you're giving us these elements but you're not actually putting them together in a way that would be really satisfying as a viewer to see. And it's just, I don't know, it's, there are some things that have been working really well this season, but of course they did just do away with them because they solved the big problem. And I don't know what they're going to do the rest of the season. I don't know. It's so well, we'll, much, so much of the philosophy beti- behind Parks and Rec for the last couple of years has been really bothering me. Well, we can uh, all check in week to week now until the end of the season. And just find out how more bothered I'm going to be. Or maybe not. Maybe it turns it all around. Maybe. Um, So this has been another very long um, BP Movie Journal. Um, We'll we'll go back to a more manageable length starting next week. 
And thanks for listening. Ta. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs>